This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Tuesday, 17th of January, 2023. And we have the U.S. markets back online today. Uh, after the three-day holiday, the S&P future is still pretty much where it was, of course, on the Friday close up into that 4,000 area. On the cash, close just a point south of that on Friday. And we have on slide two, you can see the future there with those key levels, 200-day moving average, the 4,000 area, and the 61.8% retracement coming in around 4,030. So it just really looks pivotal. This whole scenario around what could potentially drive further upside, which would be a, a, a soft landing scenario, continuing to see easing in uh, longer rates, for example, the idea that the Fed's tightening is moderating the economy, but not sufficiently to trigger uh, a recession of sufficient strength to uh, to uh, you know, disappoint the rally. And uh, that I think it's really a key few sessions ahead. We have earnings season coming, rolling in, as we've talked about, especially with next week's mega caps. Uh, just some remarkable performance, though, on our Saxo equity theme baskets, as you can see on the month to date there. On the chart there on this on the right on slide two, uh, e-commerce up on the order of 19% uh, for the month to date. Energy storage 15%, travel 14%. So these are not, uh, you know, these are obviously performances not pointing to any sort of recession or hard landing. Uh, quite a considerable bounce back in the equity market. And again, very pivotal levels for whether we're going to see a further extension and squeeze higher or whether we turn back lower. And I think uh, interest rates will have a lot to do with that. And uh, in the meantime, we have the macro event of the week, the potential volatility uh, spark of the week, certainly with the Bank of Japan up on in Wednesday's Asian session. We go to slide three. I put up today just a sterling yen chart. I, I just want to continue to emphasize this is not just about dollar yen. It is really about the uh, the broader yen picture. And in fact, I would uh, propose or, or think that if we do see considerable further yen volatility, and especially an acceleration relative to what we've seen already, that both the yen and the dollar could prove strong. The dollar somewhat as a safe haven in, in volatile times. So sterling in, you see the weekly there. You can see the scale of the potential repricing if we're seeing further contingent, uh, convergence of monetary policy. And uh, it's great to have a special guest. Uh, well, it should be a special guest. You should be a regular guest, uh, Charo, our strategist out in Asia. You wrote a piece overnight looking at this upcoming Bank of Japan meeting. And there is so much to talk about and so much potential for them to both tweak a bit more, uh, tweak a lot, or do absolutely nothing. So so what's your take on what they might deliver at this uh, at this meeting? Uh, indeed, John. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast today. Uh, but yeah, as you rightly said, uh, I mean, Bank of Japan is actually in a rock and a hard place. You know, markets are testing their resolve. And there are reasons to believe that we could potentially see another tweak in their yield curve control policy tomorrow, you know, with bond yields testing the new cap that we had uh, in December, the 0.5% cap for the 10-year Japanese government bond yields. Um, you know, we've seen the 10-year the bond yields going above that in the last three days. Uh, we have the CPI, which is continuing to run hot um, in Japan, even as it cools um, you know, elsewhere globally. Uh, Tokyo CPI for December has touched a record highs of 4%, and PPI is in double digits now, 10.2%. Uh, so you know, in the initial days of CPI gains, um, Governor Kuroda, again, discounted it by saying that it's all imported inflation and it's not structural. Uh, but we do see now that Japan's inflationary pressure 
measures are actually broadening and spreading to the services side since the economy really reopened from its COVID restrictions in uh, November of 2022. Um, and in fact, we also have, you know, some of the companies announcing wage hikes. Now we heard from Uniqlo's parent fast retailing about a 40% wage increase. So of course, not other companies are going to do wage increases of that level, but there is a broader wage pressure also coming through. It still remains pretty muted compared to global levels, uh, but I think we are beginning to see some signs and these are reasons why the market, market is really speculating the Bank of Japan to move again. But again, you know, having said that, Bank of Japan really loves to surprise the markets. Uh, we saw that most recently in December as well. Uh, with so much speculation building in, will they really go for that move? I think that really is the big question now. And um, I mean, I think I, it's obviously it's uh, the, the direction seems pretty clear at this point. But what is really uncertain is the timing and when that would happen. Uh, so, you know, I think it's, it's just a pretty tough choice for them. Um, but even if they do not really do anything at this meeting, uh, with Governor Kuroda set to retire in April, I think there is a lot of event risk still to come uh, in the way for Japanese traders, uh, yen traders and investors as well. You know, we have uh, nominations due for the new Bank of Japan chief in February. We have spring wage negotiations in March and the eventual uh, turn of the leadership board in the Bank of Japan in April. So a lot of interesting weeks um, ahead for uh, Japan. Yes, and we've uh, I've loved your your chart. You, you kindly sent a chart that I've somehow managed to not put in the slide deck, but I will put it in the slide deck uh, that uh, listeners can access. Uh, I'll put it at the end so we don't confuse our slide deck numbers. You put in uh, showing a, uh, a chart showing how high the overnight, uh, just to indicate the scale of how the market is anticipating this event risk, uh, the overnight implied volatility for, I believe it was uh, Dalian uh, uh, options, and then the uh, CPI chart. So yes, it's a very elevated, uh, historically uh, single, sort of almost like a digital outcome the market is pricing this for. And I showed yesterday or, or in a previous podcast where we are with these, uh, with the weekly options, extremely elevated as as well. So interesting. And just uh, for further perspective, put on slide four, just again, I think I, I showed this already, but just the Urien versus the Germany to Japan 10-year yield spread. So it is that that 10-year, which is the longest part of the yield curve that Japan is trying to control. And if we argue that we can somehow switch to a fully uh, free-ranging free regime from the Bank of Japan and not simply another small tweak of the of the so-called band or cap on those Japanese uh, government bonds for 10 years, I would argue that something like at least 100 basis points uh, further convergence is required there. And you can see the scale or the range of Urien where it traded when when uh, the, that spread was closer to 50 basis points, arguably at least down into the 130 to 120 range and arguably potentially uh, a little bit below that. Um, but you bring up some great points, uh, Charo, and it's, it really is interesting to see, even if they deliver nothing, whether the market is so cognizant of what is happening here that this, this ongoing shift is going to happen nonetheless, and especially under a new governor if Kuroda doesn't accomplish the further uh, sort of tweaking or tightening before he leaves uh, the stage. And you also bring another point in and, and something that um, in our internal meeting this morning is something that could continue to drive inflation in Japan. And that is this defense uh, spending story that you've that you've noted. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, John, I think I'm sure the listeners are pretty aware of the theme that we most usually talk about in our internal calls as well. And you've covered it well in the podcast about deglobalization. And I think uh, within Asia, Japan is really at the center stage of, you know, 
uh, moving in that direction. It is kind of, you know, just overhauling its security policy, um, kind of distancing itself from the likes of China and Russia. Uh, so we had a lot of headlines flowing in last week uh, when Prime Minister Kishida was actually on a G7 uh, tour. And I think the whole focus of that tour has been the military uh, policy, uh, the security policy. So there have been multiple deals that, you know, we, we are listening about. We're talking, I mean, of course, US and Germany, but also with the likes of Canada, with the UK, with Italy. Um, and of course, I think last year as well, uh, we've heard on Japan being one of the first movers in uh, announcing new, new nuclear reactors as the whole energy security issues were uh, taking quite the limelight. Um, and uh, now this morning, um, actually read this news on Japan and India kind of holding some military exercises together. So that's what prompted me to discuss that in the internal call today. So overall, I mean, the whole story here is that Japan is pretty cognizant of the geopolitical risks in the region coming from China-Taiwan or say from the inter-Korean tensions. Um, and it is looking to kind of um, boost its uh, defense spending in 2023 by about 20%. Uh, so that just goes with the overall global theme that we have. You know, we've been pretty optimistic um, uh, on our defense equity theme basket and this kind of just supports that overall view that we've had uh, uh, more so since that Russian invasion of Ukraine. Right. All right. Great stuff. Thanks, Charles. And uh, as we uh, turn over to the energy markets here, Ola, we have um, natural gas making an attempt at returning to something resembling a normal range uh, in Europe. Uh, but crude oil has gotten kind of quiet there, but we have a, an event risk coming up today. Yes, indeed. And uh, as uh, you can see on the chart, we are still in a downtrend. We've been that now for, for quite a while, but um, we, we had a decent uh, recovery over the past week. And the focus is obviously on on the outlook for for China, but uh, as also put on the next slide, uh, China is just about to go dark, uh, as as is a uh, part of uh, big parts of Asia over the coming weeks for the uh, Lunar New Year holiday celebration. So, obviously, we'll see a slow slowdown in activity during that time. So, uh, potentially, that also could signal a period of consolidation. There, yeah, potentially, some profit taking coming into the market. But um, as I mentioned, as you mentioned, John, the the the, the while the demand outlook is uh, is improving, the supply side is also starting to attract some attention again because uh, we just actually seen that Russian crude oil exports last week uh, surged to the highest level since last April. So they're still getting a, getting their fuel out the back door, uh, obviously heavily discounted. So uh, so for those who can buy Russian crude, it's it's very very cheap. But we're also seeing a pickup in in uh, in, in refinery margins on uh, some of the fuel products, and that's probably it's starting to. Uh, starting to have an impact ahead of the uh, the EU and G7 embargo on Russian fuel products that starts next month. Some have uh, some are, have forecast that potentially could have a bigger impact on global supplies uh, than the crude embargo uh, that it was introduced last month. So um, this will provide some underlying, potential underlying support for, for markets as we, as we look ahead. But as you said, generally, John, it, the market is, is looking for oxygen right now. We are we are, we are stuck in, in, a, in a bit of a range and, and uh, not really seeing much in terms of uh, further upside as, uh, before we move into the second quarter and we get a clearer picture of the demand outlook in China. And if we just stay on the on the theme of commodities, uh, I'll just put in the uh, commodity, uh, the copper charts uh, today because uh, we just saw a slight uh, slight bit come into the dollar yesterday and uh, at the same time as with, with China's uh, Lunar New Year holiday looming, uh, we are starting to see a bit of profiting coming into uh, two metal markets. We're also seeing that in gold. Um, and and the the short term problem with that obviously is that we traveled a very long distance within a very short period of time, 
and that basically means any corrections or consolidations can actually take quite a bit lower without actually damaging the the established uptrend. So we just need to keep an eye on that. I think in copper at this point, the the main risk is the the fact that we had this massive uh, jump in uh, new longs coming into the market uh, in 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 the recent couple of weeks. They will obviously be a little bit uh, trigger happy if there, if there's any weakness coming into the market. So just look out for that uh, support area down towards uh, just in the in the four dollar region. All right, and then on the earnings front, we have the two big investment banks reporting today. Uh, today, though, in the earnings watch, we have the calendar there on slide seven. Procter Gamble, uh, an interesting company for the sort of sort of the typical consumer products company. Uh, classically, something that should do fairly well, even when times are a little bit thinner. But uh, interesting to see if the, what they're reporting in, in, in terms of the consumer on a week where we also get the December retail sales uh, coming in on Wednesday. And you can see how well the, the, the stock has done relative to the broader market in recent months there with that uh, five-year chart on uh, slide seven. Uh, we've emphasized other companies that are reporting this week as well. A French uh, biotech uh, biotech laboratory equipment maker, Sartorius Stedem, however you say that, uh, also up today. Interactive brokers, more on the trading side. Uh, and then the calendar we have uh, today, that OPEC monthly oil report. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Uh, yeah. And uh, we, we got the OPEC monthly report coming out today, and we also got IEA coming up tomorrow. So uh, we obviously always keep a close eye on these just to see if there's any major changes in the in the outlook for supply and demand. Yeah, and a couple of Canadian figures that are, are quite interesting. The, the December CPI, we're looking for a further deceleration there. Uh, and the housing starts, which I, I've really been sh- surprised how well these have held up in uh, one of the most, I think, vulnerable housing markets globally, and one that responded almost uh, the most enthusiastically among major housing markets to the pandemic stimulus of, of much lower rates. So watching for a bit of a train wreck there in the housing sector in Canada, uh, maybe getting some of the first evidence of that in the coming few months. First January uh, manufacturing survey out of the U.S. with the Empire Manufacturing today. And then as emphasized, the U.S. December retail sales are up tomorrow together with the housing market index. But really, we're all waiting for this Bank of Japan meeting overnight and, and what kind of and what scale of volatility it uh, triggers, if any, uh, and as well, just what they deliver. And even if they don't, whether the market is willing to continue to gun uh, for more to happen. You can see with the anticipation as shown in the implied volatility in the options market, there's a lot of anticipation. So even if nothing happened, you have to sort of deflate uh, some of these positions, and that has its own implications in terms of hedging. So we can expect considerable uh, volatility around this event. Be aware of that. Be careful with the exposure uh, for sure uh, if you have any in exposure and really even FX exposure broadly. So consider that as we come into the late Asian hours tomorrow. All right, that is a wrap for today. Stay careful out there, and we will be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.